God knows that we can be concerned about the situations around us. He, he knows that we may look at a situation and say, Lord, what's, what's going on? What, you know, is everything okay? Am, am I okay? Am I going to be all right? And he wants us to come to him to find that comfort. And in his word, we do find comfort. We find peace. He's promised that he would give us a peace that the world would not understand and the world could not take it away. I also interpret that to mean that the peace that God will give us, situations, problems, won't take it away if we stayed focused on him. In his word, he said, I will keep him in perfect peace who keeps his mind stayed on me. Yes, we face some serious issues in our life. There are many concerns that are valid, but what's important is that we trust God. I always think about the, pro the proverb that says, trust in the Lord, lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. So as we look this month at where God offers us his comfort, receive the peace that he gives us in his word. First John, the third chapter and the first verse reads in the New Living Translation, see how very much our father loves us for we are called his children and that's what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. What does God see when he looks at you? What does God see when he looks at you? Let's look at three questions as we go through this. Are we concerned about what God and people see when they look at us? Number two, does it matter what people conclude when they see us? And number three, are we concerned about what God sees when he looks at us? What does he see? Well, to the first question, yes and yes. We are concerned about what people see when they look at us. We are concerned about what God sees when he looks at us. I think I'm safe to say that we are fixated or we're very focused on how we look to others. All right. One report says that the average woman spends over $40 a month on makeup, approximately $15,000 in her lifetime. Have you ever noticed if you walk into a Macy's or a department store that there's a whole section devoted just to makeup? And I have to admit, not just for ladies, but majority, it's for ladies. I, I'm, I'm amazed how you know the, the products that are available, you can put makeup on, you can put a base on. There's 
a lipstick, there's lip liner, there's eyelashes, there's uh, here and, and here and all the things you can do. And, and, and I love to tease the ladies when they really have it going on, because not only will their nails match what they have on, but their, their toenails have been painted. Everything is, is, is dressed right dresses, we say in the military. All right, they've got it going on. We're concerned about how we look. Before I came before you, I took time to, to pick out this shirt, to pick out this tie, this jacket, and these trousers. Why? Because I want to present my best appearance. So yes, we are concerned with how we look to one another. That's important. Do you know that there's another report that says that Americans spent over $16 billion in 2018 for cosmetic surgery? You know, it, it used to be the saying applied, what you see is what you get. But my brothers, when you're out there looking for that special someone, you need to be careful because what you see may not be totally what you're getting. Oh, we can shape different parts. We can augment. We can de-augment. We can downsize. We can change hips. We can change this. We can change that. I wonder how much money has been spent for Botox and all these other things. We are concerned with how we look. We are. All right. And billions and billions of dollars have been spent to achieve what we want to look like to others. I dare not say anyone you see on a professional basis on television has some type of makeup or something done to them. All right. Something to enhance how they look. Uh, I'm not surprised, but it was interesting when I learned that some key women that we see in, as public figures, they have their own personal makeup artist that comes and works with them before they come before us. And I like photography, love to, to love to work with it. And man, you get somebody that's good in Photoshop. They can take away the wrinkles. They can take away the, the imperfections in the skin. They can do this. They can do that. They'll have you looking like $3 million. Why? Because we're concerned about what others see when they look at us. It's human nature. Well, what about God? Are we concerned what he sees when he looks at us? I don't believe that's our primary concern of what we look like physically to God. But, you know, we're concerned with what he does see. Remember Adam and Eve? They enjoyed a relationship with God that has not existed since they have sinned. God would come to them in the cool of the day every day and spend time with them. But one day when God came to the Garden of Eden, he's looking for Adam and Eve and he can't find them. But when he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? They said, we hid. He said, well, why are you hiding? We were naked. What had happened? They had eaten from the tree, the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when they had sinned, they hid from God. We may feel because of our sins, we need to heal, hide from God, but that's not the case. No, that's not the case. God wants us to come to him no matter what we have done, but he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness.
He said that in his word. Adam and Eve hid from God because they had sinned. They were concerned about what God would see when he looked at him. Other individuals, likewise, have been concerned that what God saw in them was not what they wanted. It, they, they hadn't been the person that they felt God had called them to be. But let's find out and let's look. God looks at something very different. Let me ask the second question. Does it matter what people conclude when they see us? Does it matter what the opinion that people have after looking and seeing us when they walk away that they have? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Generally speaking, I, I can understand that. We are concerned with how we look. Well, the, for the most part, we want to influence people positively. We, we want to leave a good impression, typically speaking. And so with that, I think of the example when we go for a job. When we go for a job, we, we will wear our best, depending on what the job may be. If it's an office job where a suit and tie is typically worn, we certainly will have our our, our more than likely our best suit, our best tie. You know, there, there was a time, and I didn't do this now on purpose, but there was a time where they would say, if you're a presenter or if you want to make a statement, wear a red tie. It, it, it brings attention to that. That's not why I did it here. It just matched what I had, put, had on here. But there's a consciousness of how we portray ourselves. You've heard the old saying, right? Dress for success. There's, there's a concern here. We want to make an impression. We are concerned what people conclude when they see us. Okay. All right. So will this have an effect? Will this outer appearance have an effect? Yes, it will. You know, suppose you're looking for that special someone. All right. Or you want to be that, that someone that someone is looking for. Well, uh, I, I don't think you'll come with uncombed hair. I don't think you'll come looking disheveled. All right. I don't think you'll come with bad breath. But you're going to put your best forward. You, you know that every part of you is being evaluated by that other person. You know, how do their nails look? How do their fingers look? You know, how is their skin? Oh, my goodness. How many products are there for our skin? All right. And, and these days we can get uh, inserts or we can get these, these lenses that can correct our vision. And we can get any color we want. All right. We can do so many things to make that impression. All right. Because we are concerned of what people think about us when they walk away. We we're concerned, but you know what? These concerns and what people think are what the world thinks. That's a worldly thing. That's what man looks at. That's what man is concerned about, but that's not what God is concerned about. One of the examples that I think about, if we look at the Old Testament, all right, God looks at the inside. He looks at what's, what we are. And so then I come to my third question, if I may. Are we concerned about what God sees when he looks at us? What does he see? Well, 
You may remember the story of Saul, Israel's first king. The Bible says that he was a handsome man, a good looking man. He stood taller than the average individual. If I'm correct, I believe every president, if not every president, just the majority of them have all been over six feet tall. That, that persona, that, 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 that image that is portrayed. And, and we can see that our presidents are concerned about their image, how they look, the words they say, the, the impact that they have on people. That's, that's a concerning. Well, Saul looked the part of a king. And I'm sure when Saul saw him, or excuse me, when the prophet Samuel saw him, he said, this is what God has called. He looks the part. He, he, he seems like he'll be the right person for this, looking on the outside. And so Saul was called. God anointed him and gave him his spirit as the first king. But unfortunately, Saul was disobedient to God. He didn't obey. And so God told Samuel, the prophet, I am going to take my spirit away from Samuel and give it to another. If you read that passage there in Samuel, I found it in Samuel, I find it interesting. He says, I'm going to take my spirit from Saul and give him to another. So the Holy Spirit is a he. And so Saul, because of his disobedience, his repeated disobedience to God, fell out of grace. And so David received that spirit. But look at how the process went to identify Saul's replacement. God sent Samuel, the prophet, to Jesse's house. Jesse had eight sons. And so, of course, in that day, the oldest was always the one in the position of authority, the one that would inherit the the, the, uh, the, the inheritance from the father, the leader of the family. And so Jesse brought out his oldest son at first. And, and when Saul looked at him, excuse me, when Samuel, the prophet looked at him, handsome young man, tall, fit. He's, this looks like the king. This, this must be the one that God is going to choose. But God said to Samuel, no, I've rejected him. That's not who I want for king. And the Bible says that Jesse brought each of the other six sons before him. Seven of the sons appeared before Samuel and God said to Samuel, I haven't chosen any of them. He says, don't judge them by their appearance for I have rejected him, especially that first one. He says, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outside the outward appearance. God said, but I look at the inward appearance. I look at what's on the inside, where a person's heart is. You'll find this account in 1 Samuel in the 16th chapter, there at the 7th verse. So God has set the standard to say he doesn't look at what we see on the outside. We can be dressed. We can have a thousand dollar suit. We can have shoes that are, are exorbitantly priced. We can have our hat, our studs and hat. We can be looking sharp to the T. God doesn't look at that. You know, we, we do look at how, how people look and make judgments. We see that if there's a young black man walking down the street with a hood on, we make a certain interpretation. 
it's, it's that unconscious bias that we have. Those things that we don't recognize that have been ingrained in us. I have found, I have found, I have experienced as a black man, depending on how I am dressed, makes a difference in how people will respond to me and how they will receive me. I, I've experienced this. So yes, we, we, we focus on those things, but God does not look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. Matter of fact, in Proverbs, the fourth chapter and the 23rd verse, God says there, guard your heart above all else for out of the heart determines the course in life that you will take. It's from your heart. It's from the inside, how you act and how you react, how you make judgments, how you treat people how you respond to God's commandments. It's one on the inside. All right. When, when God lifted Job up as an example to Satan of someone who was faithful and who loved him and wouldn't give up or give out, he knew Job's heart. He, he knew that Job would not get caught up on material things as far as his faith is concerned with God. It saddens me some it saddens me sometimes when I learn or I see individuals who had been faithful but because of something that happened in their life they lost faith in God. But Job didn't do that. He didn't worry about the clothes. He didn't worry about the loss of his children. He didn't get overly concerned that everything material was taken away from him. His heart was faithful to God. His spirit told him to stay faithful and to trust in God. It's our spirit that directs us, that inner core. When the Bible speaks about our heart, it doesn't mean this thing that's beating there. This our inner being, our spirit. Is it with God? Does God dwell in us? Do we respond to what God wants us to do? You often hear me quote Romans, the ninth chapter, excuse me, Romans, the 10th chapter and the ninth verse as what God looks at and what he wants. Listen to these words. He said, if thou will confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shall be saved for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. The heart, our spirit, that being inside of us to receive salvation, to become God's child, we must believe in our heart. Our spirit must be his. Jesus said when we open our hearts to him, our lives to him, that he comes in and he becomes a part of our life. And he says that he brings the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will remain with us always. It's our seal that we belong to God. We are his. And the job of the Holy Spirit as a counselor, if you look at some of the ter terminology in the original language, it, it portrays the, the Holy Spirit as a counselor, one that guides, one that speaks to us, 
one that speaks to the Father in our behalf. And so God wants us to have a heart, all right, that's, that's given to him. If we have that heart, even when we have sinned, even when we have made a mistake, our heart will turn back to him. He says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. A good example of that is David. When he recognized the sins that he had committed with Bathsheba and the things that he had done, when the prophet said, David, you're the man that has done this great sin. He went to the Lord and we see it there in the 51st song. He said, create in me, all right, the right spirit, create in me a clean heart and create in me the, and give me the right spirit. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. The inner part, Lord, help me get what's inside the me, the real me, not the physical, not the soul, but the spirit. Help me get it right where it should be that that's what you see. Jesus said in Luke, the 12th chapter in the 34th verse, he said, where your treasure is, so there will your heart also be. Is God our treasure? Is he the most important thing in our lives? Or is it work or a loved one or material things? What you value most, that's where your heart and your desires will be. That's what you will follow. That's what will dictate or lead you in the directions that you will go. God wants you to have his heart. He wants you to allow him to direct you. Is this important? It's very important. It's critical. Because if we deny God, we deny salvation. There in Psalms 14, it says to us, the fool has said in his heart, in his spirit, there is no God. Back in Romans, again, to reflect back on that, it is a recognition that God exists that he sent his son, Jesus, to Christ to pay for our sins, that he died on Calvary's cross and rose from the dead. And if we confess our sins and believe in Jesus, we will receive salvation. Let me close. Are we concerned about what God sees when he looks at us? What does he see? Yes, I want God to see in me a heart that's dedicated to him. Don't you? We want God to see a committed heart. Recall in Deuteronomy, and Jesus quoted it when he when asked, what's the most important or the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and all of your strength. Isn't that body, soul, and spirit? But your heart, it's your heart, it's your spirit. That's what God sees on the inside. When God looks at me, I want him to see Jesus. I want him to see a spirit that is totally his. Do you know that when we receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, 
that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinful being. He doesn't see someone that has rejected him, but he sees someone that loves him. He sees his son, but we are covered by the blood of Jesus. He sees us as forgiven. The Bible says we are justified by Christ's sacrifice. It was the atonement for our sins. When God looks at me, I want him to see a person, a heart, a spirit that loves him, that is trying to do my best to live as he has commanded. Will I make mistakes? I surely will. Will I fall short of his glory? Yes, I probably will, without a doubt. But he said that he is faithful and just to forgive us if we come to him. I want to join with God. Matter of fact, Romans 8 and 16 says it this way. For his spirit joins our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. When God looks at us, he sees his child. He sees the ones that he cares for, that he loves. Again, 1 John, the third chapter and the first verse says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Have you asked Jesus to come into your life? Have you made him the one that directs your path? If you have not, would you pray this prayer with me, this prayer to receive his salvation? Dear Jesus, I repent of my sins. You're at to die on the cross is your response that you have forgiven me if I ask. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I will live my life committed to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My friend, if you prayed that prayer, you have received Jesus' salvation. You are his. From this point until the very end of eternity. Where is that end? I don't know. But I know that we are God's. Even if this, this, this body, when it, when it fails, when it's gone, the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I look forward to being with him. And I know even while I'm still in this body, I need him. I need him to direct me, lead him, lead me and guide me. I also need his comfort. He has comforted me, given me peace. Through two shooting wars, he's given me peace. Through world crises, He's given me peace. He's calmed my spirit. He's calmed my, my being. 
He has assured me that he has the power. He is in control. You might hear it say, I don't know the future, but I know who holds the future. I don't know the future, but I know that God does. And I know that I am his child. And I know that he cares for me. And if you are his child, I know for certain that he cares for you. And God is big enough, powerful enough to love each and every one that comes to him. May God bless you and may God keep you. And I look forward to the next time that we are together again. Be blessed.